Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Victoria Benyon, and the founder of the Victoria Benyon Podcast Booking Agency. And you're listening to The Best Guest, the podcast for business owners, creatives, and entrepreneurs who want to harness the power of podcasts to grow their platforms and increase their visibility. We're here to support you on your journey, bringing you actionable tips with each episode. Now, let's begin. I was first introduced to today's guest by another of our clients and was immediately intrigued by how he and his agency help business owners essentially turn lookers into bookers. So it gives me great pleasure to welcome Ross Davies to the podcast today. Ross is the owner of Strafe Creative, a digital design agency focused on conversion-led design. Growing up alongside the web led Ross to be fascinated by technology and design, yet he started his career as an ergonomics engineer in the automotive industry. The culmination of both Ross's experience and passions led to his realization that his skills were transferable, and thus Strafe Creative was born. Today, Ross and I discuss the importance of setting business goals, how to increase the likelihood a user will buy from us, and the ways we can improve our ROI on marketing by only updating our website. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome, Ross. Thank you for having me. How are you today? Really good, actually, really good. This weekend was an enjoyable one. It's, I mean, it's Valentine's Day. I don't want to, to <laughs> people should know that. But, uh, but yeah, it's all good. We've got nice evening plans. I hope you have a lovely evening. Now, Ross, I believe you were a very tall child. Is that correct? So I'm six foot, but I have been this height since I was like 10, 11 years old. So they thought I was going to be absolutely huge. Obviously, I had a huge growth spurt when I was really young. They thought I was going to be this huge giant. And then I just stayed this height forever. But yeah, obviously, for a 10-year-old, I was very tall. I was lanky. I was a beanstalk. <laughs> and you played a lot of basketball as a result. Mm, yeah, so I, st- I still play now. Uh, not very well. But, um, but yeah, I still play. But uh, yeah, I got thrown into all the academies. And um, in fact, like loads of my, loads of my ex-teammates will play professionally now. Um, and obviously they continue to grow, but they've, they've had really good careers. But no, I just obviously play it on the side, still play once a week and just really enjoy it from that sort of aspect. But yeah, I was kind of thrown into it because they thought I was going to be so tall. Um, obviously, it's a t- it's a tall person sport, but but no, it's it's you know it's allowed me to. I did got to play in Spain, like got to do some basketball tours and see Spain and, and some other bits and pieces like that. But um, sadly, no, not the not the professional that my my younger self would have hoped. Oh, for. well, you're an author as well, aren't you? It's not that you've done too badly. <laughs> yeah, no, no, got my little book out, which was all nice. That was I'm trying to think now. Is that 2018? Um, but yeah, I had a goal that I was going to try to write a book. It, that was my, um, I think it was January, I decided that, uh, so I'm actually incredibly dyslexic. Are you? Yeah, so I had to have a lot of like additional tutoring when I was young and they had to teach me to to work around it and get my brain to kind of figure out how to spell things. So I have to, I have to learn things in a very set manner for, for them to be absorbed and for them to go in and, and spelling was never a good thing. And I'd always had this goal that, you know, it would be great to eventually write a book. And so, so yeah, a couple of years ago as a New Year's resolution, I decided to basically try to sell a book. And, and yeah, I basically put the published date as like, I think the 18th of November. And then that basically gave me my deadline. I had like a year, just less than a year to write it. Um, and I was still scrambling up to like the day before to get it done. So yeah, always the way, right? But the deadline means you get it done. Yeah, classic Parkinson's law, bringing that in. 
Yeah, it's a really good book. It's full of loads of actionable advice for business owners. So you draw from your own experience of growing an agency and working with clients. I made a lengthy to-do list as I was reading it. Such good stuff in there. I found what you said about goal setting really interesting. Can you talk a bit about how you set your own business goals? Yes, we try to break them down into a few different chunks. So we will always have a yearly goal that we are going to try and get to. But um, having, I don't know about you, but like having just a big yearly goal means it's quite easy to put off. Absolutely. So I will then break that down into chunks. So I will then break those down into 90 day goals. So I have to have something done by those 90 days. And then uh, I'll break those 90 day goals down further into individual tasks. And I'll try and plan out when those tasks need to be done. And I just generally find having them broken down means they feel achievable. Whereas, you know, if you look at it and go, for example, like, how am I going to write this book? Yeah. Like, I literally have no idea where to start with that process. Whereas I think the first couple of weeks, if I look back, was like, okay, all I have to do for the first few weeks is I have to bullet point what I think what each chapter to cover. And that's all I gave myself as a task. Good idea. And breaking it down into really small little chunks made it really achievable. And then I always try to put really like strict deadlines and everything a bit like that. You know, I need, I need to have this done by X date just means that I've only really got myself to hold accountable for it. And if you leave it open, it's kind of why I refer to Parkinson's law so much. So just for anyone that's listening that hasn't heard of Parkinson's law, Parkinson's law is the idea that a task will take the amount of time that you, that you give it. So if you give yourself a month to write a book, it would take you a month. If you wrote it in a day, it wouldn't be a very good book, but you'd write it. <laughs> it would only be a short book as well, probably, but it'd be done. Okay. It'd be written. <laughs> so yeah, that's kind of how I try to break everything down, just make it really digestible. And that makes it a lot more achievable. Big goal setting play an important part in how you grew your company. Yes. Every year we, we sit down, me and Patrick, my business partner, we sit down and decide what we want to achieve this year, where we want it to go. And that doesn't always have to be monetary. It could, it could be that we want to move into a new service area or we want to attract a certain type of client. But the idea is that we want to, we try and write down and physically get written down for us to all see um, so that we can always refer to it. So the first step is just figuring out what that is. And it's almost a case of, don't figure out how to do it, just get it written down. Because then over time, you'll start to figure out what those smaller little chunks might look like. And even now, um, I know we're obviously going to share screen, so I won't show it, but um, just on my left hand on my blackboard is, is, my, is my goals for the year. And it, it's almost like that, just always having them omnipresent. It's just like, I'll probably read them as I walk in. I don't even realize it half the time. And then you look back at your chalkboard later and you go, oh, actually, I've, I've done a couple of them. I can tick them off, which is... Uh, which is always nice. I actually, what one of them I do have is, which um, I've actually left on my board, but we were looking to hire a developer, another developer last year. Basically figured out with Helen, who's our head of ops, that we, we had to have a developer on board by the 4th of October. Um, so I put uh, in big underlines, a big, big bubble around it, uh, developer 4th of October. Right. And then basically just went to work, knowing that it was a deadline, knowing that we needed to find someone, had to get one sorted, went through the motion, managed to find someone who was really good. Didn't think anything of it, really. We got them started. And then their first day that they started was the 4th of October. It wasn't planned. It wasn't like, a you know, it's not just a, for the story's sake. It wasn't until literally. And I was like, no, it's weirdly started on the 4th of October. I've got that somewhere. And I literally turned to my side. And I was like, oh, literally there, 4th of October. So... Love how that works. Probably just a coincidence, <laughs> right? But, but at the same time, it makes for a good story. <laughs> 
Yeah, I like it. So yeah, so that's kind of how we try to break it down. Just make it really digestible and have it visible. Got to have them on show all the time. First thing I do every day is I look at my list. What, like, where are we trying to get to? Is the plans for my day going to get us there? If it's not, what do I need to adjust to get it done? Um, and just try to be quite regimented with it. That's brilliant advice. Thank you. Before we go any further, can you explain how you help your clients at Strafe Creative? We are a digital design agency. So what that means is anything that's going to be, you know, on a digital device, we will probably be designing and building. And what that might come down to is it might be something web-based. It might be an online platform or anything along those lines or an app. Um, But people generally come to Strafe Creative because they want it not just to be aesthetically pleasing and beautiful, like they're obviously main things, but the end of the day, it's got to perform a certain action. So we always say that our work is purpose driven. So we need to have a very clear, obvious thing that we want to try to achieve. The easiest example of that might be an e-commerce store, very clear on that. We want someone to come on and buy something, right? Like that's that's going to be the end goal. So that was nice and easy. But for a service-based business, that's just the same. We still need to come up with a way to get them to do the thing that we want. The example I normally use is if you come onto the Strafe Creative website, we don't actually want you to pick up the phone. We don't want you to email us. What we want you to do is we want you to fill in our project planner because our project planner makes it really clear the type of project it gives us an indication of budget it tells us a little bit about your business you have to fill in a couple of questions and that means that we have a really good idea from a sales process where to take you and that's one of the big things that we always say that sites should be really clear on what we want we want the user to do if we leave it too open they're less likely to do the thing we want to do it's that netflix approach right you go on netflix and you go right i'm gonna watch a film okay now there's a thousand options which one do i pick and then you spend half an hour picking so defining the purpose of a site and making your site or whatever we're designing for you really clear on that one main thing we're trying to accomplish means we drive really high conversions. So how can we increase the likelihood a user will buy from us? Do you have any tips? Every, every business is slightly different. I will kind of caveat that with, but there's going to be a couple of key things that we can obviously every website can do that's just going to hugely help, right? So when you first land on your site, you have what is called the, you have five seconds. You have the five second rule for someone to make a decision on whether they're going to stay. And that normally comes down to, do they offer the thing that I'm after? And can I trust this company? Is there a feeling of credibility behind them? That's going to be quite a, a key one. And then sometimes even just like social proofing is really key as well. So kind of, you know, are they credible? Have they done the thing that I'm wanting to do? And last one is like, do they work with my market? So, you know, it's all very well if they do offer the thing that I want them to do, but if they don't work with my sort of business then that becomes a problem. So yes, you've got a five second rule for us to make that decision, but that needs to be constantly reiterated throughout the website. So that will come down to, you know, easy ones are testimonials that should be on the site. Always have testimonials featured. They're going to build social proofing. The perfect testimonial to us will always have, obviously have a testimonial. It will have a picture of the person. It will have their name. It will have their job title and possibly the name name or logo of their business. And that's because obviously we need the testimonials to build proof. People might not know the name, but they might know the face. Vice versa, they might not know the face, but they might, they might know the name. If in doubt, it's always good to see, especially if it's B2B, it's just good to see another company with the same job title. So if I'm a marketing manager and I'm looking for a web agency, I want to see that they've worked with other marketing managers before. 
know, a smaller ad agency may have only worked with companies with just an MD. So it'd be nice if I'm working with a bigger one that they I know they've worked with us. And then the name of the company or logo is the same sort of idea, right? So if you don't know the person, you don't know the job title, but you've heard of the company, that helps build credibility. So those sort of items are a really key way. Of, it's not just about the testimonial, it's about all these little aspects that need to go into it. Okay. Another good one for most kind of social proofing, building of credibility is, is creating large numbers if we can. And what I mean by that is, and every business has large, has large numbers, but uh, let's say we take an IT company. So rather than talking, oh, we've only been around for two years, like that's obviously not, it's not a credibility builder that you've only been around two years. But let's say as an IT company that you're working with, I don't know, a couple of estate agents, and these estate agents are sending somewhere between 20 and 50 emails every day. Then all of a sudden, actually, we can be like, we're an IT company and we've helped our clients send over 200,000 emails all of a sudden sounds credible. Okay, I see. So it's not about lying. It's just about trying to find ways that we can build credibility. Other ones are just like, you know, simple ones, accreditations. If you've won any awards, let's get those featured. And even if you've got a great client list, like some people get very nervous about referencing their client list because they think their competitors are going to poach them. Right. But the argument I always say from that point of view is, you know, the amount of additional work that you'll win off showcasing your clients is, is much higher. And then the other thing that I would say is, you know, when have you ever gone onto your competitor's website and gone, ah, they work with so-and-so, let's grab them. How are you going to do that? You can't just pick them up and say, I'll oh, see you working with Strafe, let's come work with me instead. It's, it's not that simple, right? If you've done a good job, they're going to want to stay with you anyway. Right. So credibility building is really, really key. Those are definitely kind of the, the starting point. Other ones are just making sure it's really obvious what you do as a service. Like we do X for X. It should sometimes be as simple as that. Okay. But sometimes you end up trying to come up with something that sounds clever, makes you sound intelligent. And it's sometimes just a Ron Seal approach. It just does what it says on the tin is actually just the best approach, really. So, you know, for example, on your own website, it would be much better to be like, we book podcasts for these type of people. Whereas instead, it's very easy to fall into, we'll help you get more exposure and a multi-channel approach. And you just like spiel off all these things and people read and go, don't know what that is, I'm leaving. I'm going to check my website now. <laughs> yeah, probably should have checked that before I, before I just randomly came out with it, right? And if you can imagine, if you've got a really nice, clear statement, and then we're building credibility with testimonials and reviews and everything else that's on there, and then we might have some case studies that really prove what you've done, and we have really clear, understandable services, just natural little things like that are going to make a huge difference. Okay, so there's a lot you can do to improve your return on investment just through updating your website. Yeah, 100%. You don't even necessarily need to come to an agency like mine straight away, right? It's just about making sure you've got really easy and what I always refer to as digestible. And if you're putting huge blocks of text on the page, the likelihood is no one's going to read that. They're going to see the big block of text and go, mm, let me just read the headline and let me look for something easy to read. So you've got to break that text up. You've got to kind of put it into sections to make that digestible. Digestible means it's going to be read. And if they read it and like what they see, they're more likely to get in touch. Whereas if we focus on just filling pages, especially with like keywords to try and make them rank, yeah, you might rank really well, but if they land on that page, don't read the content and leave, then you may as well not rank. Definitely one of the arguments that we sometimes have to have with agencies when they're like, oh, we need all this text. I'm like, no one's going to read it. That's a good point. So anyway, I'll get off my high horse. No, that's really useful advice. Thank you. 
Now, I believe you work with the nonprofit Open Kitchens. Can you tell us about how you help them? Yeah, so Open Kitchens was started right at the start of COVID. Basically, one of our clients and really good friends runs a restaurant booking engine. And they obviously all of the restaurants were closed. No one could serve any food. They, they weren't doing anything. And Adam, who who basically helped set up or now runs Open Kitchens, got us. I think we were the, the first person he called, actually. So I think we were the, the second people to kind of join other than himself. And he realized that it was going to be a combination of things that were going to happen. So um, all this excess food was going to be there because a lot of obviously restaurants, suppliers only sell to restaurants. So all of a sudden, where's this food going to go? So it's going to be huge food wastage. You've got all these chefs and kitchens and stuff that can't work, can't do anything. You've got all these people that might eat out a lot, but then you're also going to have a huge number of people who were already fairly vulnerable, who are going to become even worse, who can't get food, who can't get food on the table. There's going to be a huge increase in people losing their jobs. So there was going to be a big increase in these kind of vulnerable people. And Adam had had this idea of what if we can try and link everything together? And it was one of the things that we started out really small. And we started with just one restaurant and we got a restaurant to open up their kitchens. Their staff was still furloughed, but because they were doing cooking for free for charity, they could still work. The restaurant covered the costs of electricity and we basically got a kitchen for free. We managed to convince a couple of people, a couple of companies to give us the food that was going to go to waste. So we got all the food for free. And then we managed to link with a couple of charities to basically say, can you get this food to people who are vulnerable? And this was one of the issues that you'd have. Like, you you might take um, someone in their 80s who has always had a carer come in to look after them and provide their food and cook their food for them. Those carers weren't going in at the start of COVID. So they were expected to make their own food. But what was being provided to them was raw ingredients that they can't cook. You know, this person, you know, these people might not be able to work a can opener or, you know, physically hold a knife to cut through bread, simple things that we take for granted. So although the food bags and stuff that they were getting were great, you know, it became redundant to quite a lot of people. Or, you know, you provide that meal bag to, to a child, they can't cook it. No, of course um, not. So the idea is that we would make meals that were nourishing and, and fill them up, but they were they were prepared by chefs so they could just be microwaved. Oh, that's a good idea. So we did that and we tried that uh, with a company, with a restaurant in Nottingham called America. They were hugely successful. We ended up creating a platform where restaurants could submit their own kitchens and then they could raise their own funds. We ended up with just over 100 volunteers getting involved and we had to run the logistics of it all. We had to, we ended up working with the main food charity was Felix down in London. But we also worked with Felix because they already had connections to 11,000 other charities. So not all, obviously the food went nationwide, not just, not just to London or just to Nottingham where it started out. We raised over half a million pounds. Wow. Um, we funded over half a million meals. My goodness. And we built a lot of tech as well. So we even built a delivery tech. We ended up doing all that for free up in between projects it was a little bit of a mad one oh my goodness <laughs> yeah we did the website we managed to partner with just giving so they gave access and, and helped us with that website and yeah it was amazing to be involved with i think adam actually is being made a um a doctor or something very exciting at nottingham trent as a thank you for all his work which is which is amazing it was just an honor to be included it was incredibly stressful because it became this much bigger thing than we ever planned on um, but yeah, it was, was amazing. Absolutely amazing. And something we can be really proud of that we, that we were involved Absolutely. in. Absolutely. It's a wonderful thing to have done. Thank you.
Now, sticking with the food theme, I'd like to talk about Kit Kats for a moment. In your book, The Paper Plane, you talk about falling for the Travelodge premium option upgrade. For anyone not in the UK, Travelodge are hotels positioned where business people need them on motorways, etc. Their premium option includes different bedding, shampoos, faster Wi-Fi and Kit Kats. Is it correct that you're a huge fan of Kit Kats? I love a Kit Kat. What, what's not to like about Kit Kat? Absolutely. <laughs> Which type are your favourite? Really, really boring. I just like the plain one. Just like the standard one, right? You get four fingers in that one. But, um, but no, it's my favourite chocolate bar. Can't beat it. I had one this morning, not going to lie. Now, none of this costs the Travelodge much, and they have a huge profit margin on this option, as you point out in your book. Just a good marketing ploy. Just quite nicely done. And you urge readers to look at their own businesses and work out what is their business's Kit Kat. Thank you so much for all your advice and tips that you've shared today. Can you tell me where listeners can go to connect with you? Mm, yeah, of course. Um, so first one, just a slightly plug, is obviously strafecreative.co.uk. Um, and you can go on to you can go on to there. Obviously, if you want to fill in our project planner um, to see if we can help you in any way. Um, what I uh, wanted to offer as well, if that's okay, is if anybody did want to fill that in and they want us to just do a free video audit of their site, then we can do that. Basically, just fill in the project planner, and then the message section. Obviously, just just mention Victoria and the fact that you've come through the podcast. And one of the team will record a probably about a five minute video just with some tips and tricks on how you might be able to improve the site. You don't need to come back to us. It's it's not a case of um, we're then going to sell to you and sell to you and sell to you. It's more of a case of just trying to give value to people. So that one's there. On, on Twitter, it would be uh, Ross Alex Davis, or one word, is, is probably the best way of, of getting me. And that will be there for avail for you as well. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Hugely appreciated. Always nice to catch up, Victoria. Thank you so much for listening to the Best Guest Podcast today. I'll talk to you again in the next episode.